Watch podcast. I'm Aaron Berger, a Nebraska Extension Beef Educator. For today's Beef Watch podcast, we're going to be discussing the topic of lice control in beef cattle. And to discuss this, I'm joined today by Dave Boxler, who's an entomologist based at the West Central Research and Extension Center. Thanks for joining me today, Dave. You're welcome, Aaron. Dave, this is the time of year when we frequently see people looking at the possibility or implementing lice control products as they look at their cattle. Help us think through a little bit about the history of understanding lice, the physiology of those different species of lice that impact cattle, some of the products that have been used for lice control, what we're seeing occur with that, and then also help us understand as we think about trying to control lice on cattle today, what are some strategies we need to know and understand to really help us do that effectively and also hopefully minimize the risk of developing resistance in some of these parasites? Okay, well, in Nebraska, we can possibly have four different species of cattle lice. Uh, one species is called the little red uh, cattle louse, and it's a, a chewing louse, and it, it feeds on um, skin dander, uh, scruff, and things like that. And then we have the three uh, sucking lice species, which uh, feed on blood. And uh, we have what we call the short-nosed cattle louse, which is actually our largest species. It's about anywhere from three to five millimeters in length. So it's a pretty sizable louse. Um, the next one is the long-nosed cattle louse, which is probably the most frequently encountered louse species across the country. Here again, a blood-feeding louse. Uh, and the last species is called the little blue cattle louse, which... Um, seems to uh, affect younger cattle a little more frequently, but we have found it on all uh, different age groups of cattle over the years that I've worked in uh, this area of, of study. And uh, it can be found very easily on the face and the muzzle of animals. And you, sometimes you've seen pictures of a calf that uh, had the color or the look of, of blueness to its muzzle. That would be attributed to the uh, little blue. So those are the, the, the species that we deal with. And historically, um, we over the years have dealt with this particular problem using uh, some products that are no longer available. Uh, they were highly effective. Uh, they were uh, essentially organophosphate products, porons and spot-ons. And over time, the EPA has pulled all those products off uh, of label and are no longer available. But those, those products in the, in the 70s, 60s and 70s were highly effective against uh, controlling uh, the, the cattle else. And some of them were contact and others like one in particular, I'll mention a, a product called Warbex. It was a systemic. It would be absorbed into the body and flow through the bloodstream. Highly effective against cattle grub and also the cattle louse. We have shifted over time to different chemistries as a result of losing our, our old products. And these new chemistries, many of them are synthetic pyrethroids, probably are not as efficacious uh, as the old organophosphates, but they've made improvements by increasing the, the level of activity by uh, adding new generations of this particular compound. And one uh, control product that came out in the early 80s that 
pretty revolutionized internal as well as external parasite control was the development of the ivermectin compounds. Uh, we call them indectocides because they control not only internal parasites, but also external. When those hit the market, it really improved the control of cattle lice and internal parasites, as well as the cattle grub. In fact, it'd be pretty hard pressed to find cattle grub populations here in Nebraska currently. They still exist in the northern regions of our country, but here in Nebraska, they're for the most part pretty much gone. But the ivermectin-based products uh, work systemically, and they're applied either by a pour-on or an injectable. They first were introduced as an injection, and early, early into its introduction, they found that the injectable indectocides had no effect on the chewing louse. So they brought forth the pour-on formulation, which really improved the control of the chewing louse species. So they've been on the market for a number of years. We've, we've added a few new ones, but still generally they're from the, the one class of macrocytic lactones. And since everybody is using them and using them not only for lice control, but also for hornfly control in the summertime, we're starting to suspect that there may be some resistance out there. Up to this point, it's only uh, suspected. There's never been a confirmation yet to determine whether we have uh, insecticide resistance to the abomectins or ibomectin compounds or to the synthetic pyrethroids with, with cattle lice. We would like to try to do a study to determine if we do have resistance and it could be done uh, with a challenge study where you bring animals in to a, a location and uh, evaluate different products along with a genetic study. Uh, we, we do have the technology to look at it from a genetic standpoint, but the, the two studies would have to be combined so you could compare what's going on out in the field. Hopefully in the near future, we'll be able to do some type of work like that. That would really be valuable to the industry. Some of the issues that we're seeing now uh, as far as lack of control, especially with the indectocides, might be more attributed to the time of application. I know many people, many livestock producers will wean in late September or October, and they'll want to apply a, a control product for both internal parasites as well as for, for cattle lice. And over the last five to 10 years, we've noticed that our fall time temperatures are much warmer than in the older days. We're seeing temperatures in the 70s, uh, well into October, October, November. And to give you an idea, uh, uh, an air temperature of 70 degrees will raise the skin temperature of an animal to 100 degrees. And that temperature affects uh, egg development and egg survivorship. And if you raise that skin temperature to well over 113 degrees, you can actually inflict mortality uh, onto uh, adult cattle lice. So if producers apply these products when it's warm and it stays warm, 
And this, this fall is a perfect example of that. Some of these indecticide products may only have a period of effectiveness ranging from 40 to 70 days, depending upon the species of louse. So you can see that by the time we get cold weather, and that is usually setting in in, in December, that's when you're going to start to see lice numbers increase. Well, if you have if you have reduced the population a little bit at that fall application, but have not removed it, the remaining lice uh, numbers that are on your animals are going to start. Uh, reproducing and the populations are going to increase rather dramatically. And I think we've seen that uh, on a number of occasions here in Nebraska and in other parts of the country where producers are trying to go after possibly three pests, and that includes the, the louse, the internal parasites, and cattle grubs. Some people are still treating for cattle grubs. So they like to use one application to take care of all of that. I can understand that. But I think applying too early in the in the fall is really somewhat problematic. And um, that's where we see many times where we, we get breaks in, um, in population numbers uh, later in, in the season, especially in the cold months, December, January, and February. That's when you're going to see significant cattle lice numbers increase during the cold because this particular insect is a cold loving insect and it will reproduce very quickly under those conditions. To give you an example of the biology of one species and that's the chewing louse, that uh, species can reproduce asexually. So you can get tremendous numbers of lice. So those are things that we have to keep in mind. Also, is very important is when you're making the applications with any control product, follow the label closely and make sure that you target that application on the animal where it's supposed to be. Uh, many times we're in a hurry, we're running a lot of cattle down the, the, the alleyway, and sometimes things can get hectic and you may not get a complete application. That certainly weighs into how good of control you're gonna get for cattle lice down the road. So I suggest that uh, slow down a little bit and make sure that you're applying that, that product uh, correctly. And some product has specific statements on it, how to apply it, starting from the head all the way to the tail. And if you don't do that, you possibly could result in getting less control on, uh, on cattle lice. Dave, talk just a little more about how lice reproduce, uh, how quickly that can occur. And you mentioned that lice are cold loving in terms of that's when they reproduce and understanding that in terms of if we're trying to break the cycle here, timing becomes pretty important. Well, it does. And generally, and I'm going to give you an average for all four species from egg to an adult, it takes about on average 25 days to complete a life cycle. So that can happen pretty quickly. And in the case of our chewing louse, which can reproduce without a male, those numbers go up exponentially very, very quickly. So it's very important for livestock producers to keep a good eye on their animals starting in December as we progress into a much colder period of our winter. If they identify any hair on 
fence lines or posts or just an unthriftiness look in their cattle, bring some of those suspect animals in, put them in a chute, do a hair part uh, on the, uh, the withers, the top line, and the face. And those are three areas where you should find cattle lice. And if you do, the, the population numbers uh, as far as uh, impact, one to five per square inch is considered low. Six to 10 per square inch represents a moderate population number. And over 10 lice per square inch is a heavy number. And we know from research studies conducted here in Nebraska and other institutions where cattle with uh, heavy populations, more than 10 per square inch, they can reduce weight gains by as much as 0.21 pounds per day. And those same studies found that uh, animals that were fed on a higher nutrition level had lower lice numbers and were affected less severely by lice than calves or animals fed with a maintenance ration. So providing good nutrition during the winter will help offset some of these lice issues. So keeping a good herd health program and nutrition program, I think is vital in managing this particular insect. Dave, one of the things you mentioned earlier in our conversation is that there appears to be a genetic component to this as well from the cattle side, meaning that there's some animals that seem to be more susceptible to lice and others that are more resistant. Uh, give a little more perspective on that. And as you've worked with this, what you've seen in that area. Well, certainly cattle species that have a, a shorter hair coat will, will be less susceptible. Also, uh, animals that uh, secrete more sebum or oil will have uh, a lower population of, uh, of cattle lice. Now, certainly conditions that uh, support an increase in louse numbers are drier skin, longer hair coats, poor nutrition, as we talked about earlier, and um, overcrowding animals in, in areas where they can rub against one another. Because 90% of the time, lice are transferred from animal to animal. So keeping uh, cattle not crowded or close together will help reduce that. And then there's always one animal in a, a herd where you can never reduce or control the cattle lice numbers. We call that a carrier or a chronic. And some herds don't have them, but some do. And the best thing to do if you have a chronic animal that you just can't control lice on is to call that, call that animal, sell it. Uh, otherwise they will continue to reinfest the rest of the herd. Another real important uh, aspect to look at is if you're buying new animals in the fall and bringing them onto your ranch, uh, isolate them, treat them for lice before you introduce them into the main herd. Because I've seen this a number of times where people brought in animals from other parts of the, the state or, or, or country and uh, didn't treat animals and all of a sudden uh, their main herd had a louse problem. So it just takes one animal to uh, increase the, the lice numbers or become that uh, source of, of the louse population. So that's something to keep in mind too. Genetically, uh, there are some animals that just don't support lice numbers and, and that's analogous to 
animals sometimes uh, in the summertime do not support as many horn flies. But I have not yet seen an animal that never had one louse on it unless it, after treatment. So they will carry fewer lice, but they will not be louse free unless they specific treatment is applied. Dave, for listeners who might be in a situation where they want to avoid using some of these insecticides, are there any other treatments that are available that would be an option for them to try to manage lice in their cattle herd? Well, I I know that there are some natural products that have been touted to reduce lice numbers. I have worked with just one product in a, in a study a few years ago, and it was a, a natural product that uh, we sprayed on the animals. And it did, re- did do a significant reduction in louse numbers. That product is not labeled yet. It may be labeled in the future. So I do know uh, that that one really did work. Um, and it's very, very safe. The only problem that uh, we have with it is that it has to be applied as a spray. And, and you know, a lot of producers are very reluctant to spray their cattle in midwinter. And that can be a real problem. The formulation would have to be really readjusted as a pour on to make it as efficacious as a spray. So that's the only one that I can verify that actually worked. And I saw that for my, with my own eyes. Dave, anything else on this topic that you think would be valuable for producers to know and understand as they think about lice control in cattle? Well, I think that uh, you have to keep in mind timing. I know we, we've really discussed this in, in great detail, but I can't emphasize enough that it's important to apply those at a timely situation. Monitor your herds very, very closely. When you see cattle that are that are rubbing and hair loss, bring those animals in and look at them and, um, and treat the animals then. And even, uh, you know, we discussed the, the louse population numbers where we discussed a, a moderate population of six to 10 lice per square inch. That's a population level that could easily go into the higher level. So I think you want to target certainly your cattle if you found a moderate population. If you had a low population number one uh, to five lice per square inch, you could probably monitor it and let it go. But I think a moderate population needs to be addressed as very quickly as you can to prevent it from going to that heavy population where you're really gonna see impact. Timing, uh, this is another critical point that I'd like to discuss. We don't see the cattle grub that frequently here in Nebraska anymore, but something you have to be mindful of. There's a period of time between November 1st and February 1st where the cattle grubs, if they are in the animal, are migrating through the animal. If you treat an animal with a systemic product during that time period, there's a chance of getting what they call host parasite reaction and that kills the developing grub in the animal, which releases a toxin and causes either paralysis or suffocation, depending upon the species of cattle grub that's in the infested animal. So producers who have applied a systemic product at weaning time prior to November 1st 
could come back in, say, in December or January and use a systemic like uh, an indecticide at that time. Producers who did not use a systemic product to control internal parasites or cattle grubs at weaning time should probably use a contact insecticide during December, January, and February because you do run the risk of that host parasite reaction. In some cases, if you do rely on a contact which uh, insecticide, which is primarily a pyrethroid, some pyrethroid formulations require two applications, 14 days apart. Others require one. Please read the label of all the products that you utilize. We do have one product out there that has worked well as a rescue treatment when other products have failed. It is a combination of a product called Dimlin, and it is a growth regulator, and it's coupled with a, a pyrethroid. Now, what's really good about this particular combination is the, the Dimlin or the diflubenzeron part of it will actually kill eggs. So it's ovicidal, which is really, really good. So that's something that uh, producers may want to re resort to as a rescue treatment uh, when other products fail. Dave, I really appreciate your time today and for sharing your perspective on opportunities to control cattle lice and some things that producers need to know and understand as they think about doing that this fall and winter. Thank you, Aaron. Well, for more information on the topic that was discussed in today's Beef Watch podcast, I would encourage you to visit the beef.unl.edu website. Also, if you have questions around controlling parasites in cattle, you're welcome to contact Dave Boxler. He's located at the West Central Research and Extension Center.